Good morning. How y'all doing today? Chris, Chris did the announcement, so this is like the first time I talked to you. It kind of threw me off my game there. This past Wednesday, we celebrated Ash Wednesday. We observed Ash Wednesday. We had a great crowd here Wednesday night, and then uh, we had a number of people here Wednesday afternoon. I really appreciate that. Uh, if you weren't here, let me just share a little bit. Uh, Ash Wednesday begins the Christian season of Lent. And for many Christians, Lent is nothing more than a time to give up some soda or chocolate. I have never understood how that would make God happy or what that has to do with drawing closer to Jesus. But that's what some people think Lent is all about. But Lent is, uh, how long is Lent? Yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one, you know. It's 40 days and then six Sundays. So we don't count Sundays as part of Lent because Sundays are all Little Easter. So if you did give up chocolate, have at it today. It's on, okay? Some of y'all are going to have a big sugar high with your soda and your chocolate this afternoon. But anyway, so Lent is 40 days plus those six Sundays. And what it's about is this. Lent is a time of spiritual reflection with the purpose of strengthening our relationship with Jesus. Now, some might say, aren't we always supposed to be mindful of strengthening our relationship with Jesus? Yeah, but you know, sometimes we get caught up in the world and the events of the world and the events of our life and health matters and all this. So, so Lent, as we move towards Easter, is just a time where we collectively, together, can be a little bit more mindful of our relationship with Jesus. And uh, I shared on Wednesday that sometimes the question is given to me, should I give up something for Lent? You know, I used to always say give up sin. That's always a good thing to give up for Lent. But as committed Christians, and we talked about this last week, you know, where are we? Are we curious or are we committed? If you're curious, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're praying for you, and I, and I hope you can move towards that committed part. But as committed followers of Jesus, we should always be willing to give up anything that comes between us and God, that restricts our relationship with Jesus. Now, drinking too much soda and eating too much candy isn't good for your body, but God wants us to dig a little deeper as we reflect upon what it might be that's preventing us from growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And to help us discover what those things might be in our lives, during the season of Lent, we're looking at the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, Those are all found in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And on Ash Wednesday, we talked about the first of those letters. That was the letter to the church in Ephesus. And there, they were told to consider how far they had fallen from their first love as a Christian. As a Christian, what should our first love be? Preacher asked a question from the pulpit. Jesus always a great answer. Yes, Jesus is our first love. And so what Jesus was telling them in that letter was that, uh, you know, don't, don't be doing things just to be religious. 
You know, even, even worship. Don't just go to worship because that's what religious people do. You know, do it because of your first love. Do it because you love Jesus. And, and we can show our love for Jesus by the way that we worship. Are we engaged? Uh, we can do it by serving other people. Well, today, we're turning our attention to the second letter, and that was the church in Smyrna. Smyrna, by the way, is the Greek word for myrrh, as in frankincense and myrrh. And uh, myrrh is a fragrant resin that comes from the cut bark of certain trees. It's still used today in parts of the world as a fragrance. And that has nothing whatsoever to do with what I'm preaching on. That's just your dendrology fact for the day. Dan, did you like that I used dendrology in a sermon? Yeah. That's probably the first time I ever did. You can ask Dan what that means later. Anyway, the letter to Smyrna is unique. Because out of the seven letters that we have in Revelation to these churches, it's the only letter where they didn't do anything wrong. That Jesus doesn't chastise them for something that they're failing to do. Uh, last week we talked about are we committed. Let me tell you, the folks in Smyrna, they were committed. And Jesus, in his letter to them, is encouraging them uh, to remain committed even if things would get tougher. And I say tougher because they were already bad. And they were bad because the people refused to worship Caesar. Huh? Well, this is kind of what uh, is behind the book of Revelation and what's going on in these churches. Uh, the Roman Empire decided it would be a good idea if once a year everybody worshiped Caesar. It would unify the empire, so they thought. So at least once a year... Everybody who lived in the Roman Empire would have to go to the government booth, a building or whatever, and they would have to burn some incense and worship Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. And when they did that, they got a certificate with a stamp on it so that they could prove that they worshiped Caesar. Now that certificate with a stamp on it became known as what in the book of Revelation? The mark of the beast, exactly. And so these Christians in Smyrna didn't have the mark of the beast. They didn't have their official stamp, and so they were losing their jobs, because you had to have that if you wanted a job. They were losing their possessions. They were losing their homes. And so things were getting bad for them. And, uh, but this is what Jesus writes to them, uh, Revelation 2.8, to the angel, or sometimes that's translated as uh, messenger, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now we know their afflictions. They lost their income. They lost their possessions. They lost their homes. Yet Jesus says they're rich, and that's a challenge. If, if you lost all that, would you feel rich? Or would you be saying, hey, Jesus, you got to help me out with this worldly situation I'm in? Mm. Since Lent is a time of spiritual reflection with the purpose of strengthening our relationship with Jesus, let's ask ourselves this. Is the power of God so strong within us that if we lost everything, we would still consider ourselves rich? And the question that follows that 
How much is our relationship with Jesus worth to us? God has lavished, and that's what it says in the Greek, and I love that word. He has lavished gifts upon us. This is the one who created. He spoke the universe into creation. Look what it says, Ephesians 1.7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Now, because of this grace that He's lavished upon us, uh, we have been promised eternity with God. In fact, uh, we are, our inheritance is the same inheritance that Jesus gets. That's pretty wild, huh? Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. He goes on to talk about that incomparably great power, and he says that power that's in you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we should be feeling rich, because we are rich. We are rich. Is the promise of the riches that await you in heaven enough for you? Is it enough just to satisfy you? Hmm. You know what? Uh, sometimes we're after the worldly kingdom a whole lot more than the godly kingdom, but Romans 14 says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In the Ramon Torres translation, that'll probably say the kingdom of God is not a matter of worldly stuff, but it's a, a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's consider our normal day. Are we living with an awareness, continually, with an awareness of the presence of Jesus? Are we growing in the knowledge of Jesus? Are we growing in the likeness of Jesus? And we should be because in this world we're supposed to be like who? That's right. Uh, 1 John four seventeen. in this world we are like Jesus. Or are we more preoccupied with worldly things? And I know, I live in the same world as you, and I, you know, I, I do. I, I, I've lived in this world all my life. And I know that more often than not, we're more preoccupied with worldly things. We are. But if during this season of Lent, when we're trying to strengthen our relationship with Jesus, if we can, if we can move a little bit more in the direction of mindfulness of God's kingdom, then we will grow closer to Jesus. Now, see, those, those folks in Smyrna, they had a relationship that changed their world. You see, we're Americans. And when we talk about changing the world, we always think, Jesus changed my world. We, we Americans always think, oh, that's for the better. Because that's what Jesus does for Americans. He blesses us. Jesus changed their world, but it wasn't for the better. Not in worldly terms, not in worldly terms. It became comfortable and then uncomfortable, and it would eventually lead to the death of many of them. But they chose Jesus over comfort. And the most powerful, challenging verse is verse 10 in chapter 2. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. You know, there's some preachers that make a whole lot more money than I, pack out stadiums, and 
that preacher will never preach about suffering. Because that preacher is going to tell you that God wants you to have that new car and that house. And God wants you to get ahead in this world. And maybe God doesn't. Maybe God doesn't. But I want you to know that Jesus does bring a quality of life that is better. You see, the things that Jesus is going to bring to us isn't worldly stuff. No, it is joy, love, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. Because that's all fruit of the what? Yeah, that's fruit of the Spirit. And when we have the Spirit of Jesus in us, the quality of life doesn't mean the abundance of stuff, but the quality of, of life grows. Why do American Christians think it's our birthright never to suffer for Jesus? Indeed, we believe it's our birthright to be comfortable, and if Jesus really loves me, then I will always be comfortable. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's continue in Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. All right, Jesus, I can hang in there for 10 days. That's all you got coming? Is that the best they can do? You know what would happen after 10 days? They died. They would be murdered and executed in horrible ways. You can read about Smyrna. They, 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 they put them on the rack and tore their limbs off. Yeah. So this is what Jesus says. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil put some of you in prison. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days. But then look. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. That word that we translate as victor's crown, it, it wasn't like a king wore yeah, you've seen the old pictures of like the ancient Olympians, the, the, the champions would have this wreath, it was, it was a wreath around them, uh, that was a victor's crown, and what it was when they had this wreath, it, uh, it was actually their ticket to a great banquet that would be held in honor of the champions, and so Jesus is saying if you keep the faith all the way to your death, you are going to be in a great banquet for those who are victorious, and it's going to be in heaven. So, while he walked the earth, Jesus told us that we may have to suffer for him. In Matthew 10, he said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Be afraid instead of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. But then in that same passage, Jesus goes on to talk about God's care for us. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Whenever I'm riding down the road and I see a dead bird on the side of the road, I say, God knows that bird is right there. And if he knows that bird's right there, just think of how mindful he is of me. Of me. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. It's a little foreign in our country to speak about keeping the faith even in the face of death threats. But it wouldn't be wrong for us during this season of Lent to consider where it is every day that we put our faith. 
It's our faith in our jobs and our bank account and our retirement and our health care. Or is it in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, gentleness, self-control? The writer of the book of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Oh, that's so, so powerful. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave or forsake you. Never uh, so say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? No, chances are none of us here will face death because of our faith in Jesus. The question we want to ask as we reflect upon this letter to the church in Smyrna is are we living according to the ways of the world or the ways of Jesus? Are we focused on the ways of the world or are we focused on the ways of Jesus? I want to share a passage of Scripture. It's kind of lengthy, and I know what time it is, and I know we got communion, but just stick around. Let the Baptists get done over at the Cracker Barrel. There'll be plenty of room for you after that. Okay? This is from Romans. begins in verse five, uh, 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh. And when Paul wrote flesh, what he meant is the world, and so I'll put it up there. Those who live according to the world have their minds set on what the world desires. This is what we want to move away from during this season of Lent. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Remember what that is. Love, joy, peace. All those great things that make for a quality of life. The mind governed by the world is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the world is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the world cannot please God. You, however, are in the realm, uh, you are not in the realm of the world, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That's that's the victor's crown. That's the wreath that will get us into that great banquet. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus or Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the world to live according to it. For if you live according to the world, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so our obligation is to live according to the Spirit. I said earlier that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What do I want you to take away from this today? Well, hopefully a lot more, but certainly this right here. That true riches are to be found in God's kingdom. And so as you go through this season of Lent, focus, focus on Jesus. And ask yourself quite honestly, am I more focused on the things of the world or on the things of God? In a moment, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. And as we do so, uh, as you come forward and return to your seats, just be in prayer. Be in prayer about 
where is your focus? Where is your focus? Today being the first Sunday of Lent, it's a great time for us to refocus on the things of God.